Today is Tuesday, August 13th, 2013. And do you know what that means? 14 completed years of ASO Radio! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and a talk of all ages, this is NZ17 bringing you a brand new episode of ASO Radio and a momentous one at that. Our 130th numbered episode. Well, I mean, if you count all the episodes we've ever made, it's probably more like 150, but let's just count the whole numbers, shall we? At least for this celebration, as we have completed 10, that's right, 10 seasons of ASO Radio, and this, today, is our 14th year of broadcasting. That's right, it was many, many moons ago... Way back when, in the ancient days before the 21st century, when we had very little, well, of any of the technology today. Yes, 168 moons ago, when I tried to go and start an anime club at my high school. And that evil, crotchety matron of clubs refused to review our club, refused and refused till the very end of the year, and only when finally cornered did she spend any time and been, oh, I can't watch these things, I can't go and review them, they're just awful, and I take so much time, and I have to review them for the school, and oh, you can't just show anything, I can't take your word on it. And yet, of course, she runs the friggin' book club in which they're obviously reading all sorts of whatever, and she's not proofreading everything that they're reading in there. You know, people are bringing in books all the time, but oh, let's quietly read, that's okay. But anime, oh, that's horrible, that's horrible. Maybe I should have suggested to somebody to go and sabotage her book club by bringing manga in to read, huh? Yeah, throw a bee in her bonnet or two. Well, our loss was the world's gain, as... NZ-17 was later joined by T-Man, Z-Guy, and DB-3, as well as various other guests over the years, to go and form ASO Radio, and bring the internet world over 130 delightful podcasts. So long ago, they weren't even called podcasts back then, because it was before RSS enclosures, and before even RSS. We had MP3, though, but... Hey, those encoders were hard to get and expensive, so we went with real audio. What a crummy format that was. But one day I'll convert, well, all of the archived episodes. Unfortunately, many episodes of ASO Radio were lost to the ether. But one day we'll get all those old ones we do have online and converted into open source, open format, Og Vorbis, and of course, the ubiquitous MP3. But enough back history. We're in the here and now, when you tuned in to hear something new. And so for this episode, we have an anime review and a video game review. And I have picked two delightful winners for review on this particular episode, because if we're going to celebrate, we ought to celebrate with something grand. And, just a bit of a rata before we get into the reviews, I would like to say that yes, last time I said we were doing shotgun reviews, and we did, and... However, I said that we would do ten shotgun reviews, and we actually only did nine. Accidentally skipped over Natsume's Book of Friends. So sad, too bad. But don't worry, because we missed it last time, we'll get around to it in a future episode, and instead of doing it shotgun style, we'll give it a more full, a more proper review. Of course, I didn't watch all that many episodes of it, but 
of what I saw. It was good. Worth your time. But enough of that. Let's get into the meat of the show. Have you ever heard of the anime called Toradora? Well, if NIS America's limited distribution and high prices are any indicator, eh, probably not. But if you have heard of it, it probably was due to its most excellent quality, or perhaps you got to watch it for free during the limited times that it was streaming on Crunchyroll and or the Anime News Network. Either which way, however, it is an excellent show, and let me tell you why. Because it has practically everything going for it. First of all, you know me. I like my music to be fast-paced, high number of beats per minute. And thankfully, the openings and closings in this show do not disappoint. A lot of anime that I watch, I won't like the ending songs they're too slow. And sometimes they'll even get opening songs that are too slow. And occasionally, all of the OPs and EDs in the OST will be NG, if you know what I mean. No good. However, with Doradora, I like all of the openings, all of the endings, and even the uh, special Christmas song featured in one of the episodes. All good times. Not only that, high quality animation. Beautiful to look at, splendidly animated, and though I do believe it was a TV series, excellent OVA quality animation. A real feast for the eyes. And most definitely fantabulous character design, making characters look, uh, when they need to, their worst, and usually their best. And um, while all this is fine and dandy, you know, great soundtrack, great visuals, what's the story? What's the plot? All right. Basically, you've got a group of five dudes and dudettes. You've got Ryuji, the taiga in Toradora. Interesting little fact, but Toradora is an almagam of um, the uh, taiga and Ryuji kind of crushing their names together in order to go and make it both Tora and Dora. Dora from Doragon and Tora from the Japanese word for tiger. You might uh, recognize it from the name of the famous movie Tora Tora Tora. So you take some Tora, you take some Dora, smash it up, you get Tiger Dragon, and that's the name of our two main characters. Ryuji, which means, I believe, Son of the Dragon, and Taiga Isaka, um, whose name isn't actually Tiger, it's Taiga, but it sounds like Tiger, which gets her the nickname of the pint-sized tiger. Well, Taiga has a real feisty, bad kind of attitude, where even if you don't look at her the wrong way or talk about her the wrong way, she might just go and kick you through a sliding door anyways because she's in a foul mood. And then there's Ryuji, the quiet, gentle kind, who unfortunately, due to inheriting his father's looks, appears to be a intimidating, no-good-doer. Well, as it turns out, Ryuji likes Taiga's friend, Minorin. And... Wouldn't you know it, but Taiga likes Ryuji's friend, Kitamura. Well, shucks. If you think you've heard this one before, 
Well, you might have. There was actually a few different anime and manga released about the same time with the same basic plot of guy likes this girl, girl likes this guy. They help each other to go and uh, hook up with the object of their affection. Will sparks fly? Will they be of fighting or romance? Um, but let me tell you, the other stuff that uh, happened around there, its gimmick was slightly different. You know, instead of one was the friend with the other's object of the affection and same but switched around... In this, um, I mean, in the other one, different, different setup. Anyway, <clears throat> this is really great, not because of its originality, per se. After all, we are rooting for Taiga as she goes and drools over Kitamura. And we're rooting for Ryuji so, as he attempts to follow Minori from job to job, that he goes and gets her attention and affection and perhaps even gets his cell phone decorated in the sequins that she goes and does up with designs on people's phones. Um, but of course, not only are we rooting for that, for both of them, but we're also rooting for them to perhaps let their softening towards each other turn into feelings of love. Well, throw into the mix a uh, let's say, a uh, spoiled and cowardly model named Ami, who happens to have her own feelings for Ryuji, more along the lines of, well, if everybody's after him, and he's not interested in me, then I'm going to make him mine. Um, they go on various crazy uh, adventures here and there, uh, some other side characters to mention is Ryuji's mom, who's basically a uh, happy hour girl working at a nightclub. And um, Inko-chan, their disgusting parakeet, um, which really the less said about that thing, the better, uh, because it's just stupid. But hey, I guess if you like visual gags, there's that. It looks gross. I guess it's supposed to be one of those things that's so gross looking that it's cute. But personally, I didn't find it to be cute. Or the jokes with it funny. But what I did enjoy was the repertoire between Ryuji and, of course, Taiga. Because uh, she's a real spitfire. And it's funny because occasionally the other characters are creeped out by Ryuji looking so tough and bad. But having such a gentle and and uh, delicate side. You know, doing the cooking, doing the cleaning, uh, sewing and making clothes and stuff like that. Um, but as I was saying, over time, the characters soften towards each other and start to like each other and start to think maybe there's something there. Um, and in all honesty, I gotta say, as far as the characters are concerned, um, the only one I didn't like was Ami. You know, uh, I liked Taiga very, very much. I like Ryuji. Uh, I liked, uh, Mina Rin, as her friends call her, um, pretty well, because she's cute and upbeat and a bit kooky and working really hard to save up a bunch of money, but why? And, of course, Kitamura, a bit of an oddball under the surface, but a likable character nonetheless. And even uh, Ryuji's lush of a mother has her positive aspects, too. Um, and no, I'm not talking about uh, her physical appearance. Um... So, I know this doesn't really sound like I'm selling it here, <laughs> but trust me when I say that this is a most excellent show. As a matter of fact, it was so good 
that NIS America sold so many copies that they were able to do a regular edition. Now, I know that sounds backwards, but the way that NIS America operates is first they release a premium edition, which has a hardcover slip box that holds all the stuff and a hardcover art book, about 40 pages usually, and then some thin cases to hold the discs, um, usually about two discs per case, or if they do DVDs and Blu-ray, two DVDs and two Blu-ray discs to go and hold all of that particular volume or season or whatnot. Um, and that's the default release for all of theirs, is the premium edition. But if it sells really well, they will re-release it as a regular edition for uh, 20 to $30 less. And Toradora is one of the very few ones that sold so well that they went and re-released it as a regular uh, value-priced edition at $30 for the entire first season and uh, $30 for the second season. Or uh, I believe they even have a bundle right now where you can get the premium edition of Season 2 with the regular one of Season 1. Guess they ran out of uh, premiums for Season 1, eh? Um, but I guess what really makes this show good is you really like the characters, you're rooting for them, and... Um, it's just got excellent pacing, and it knows, you know, when to start and where to end an episode. Um, a few of the episodes in the middle I didn't really care for, like when the gang goes and spends a weekend or a week, whatever it was, over at Kitamura's family's uh, beachside house. You know, I thought that that was kind of lame, because you got Ami going and leading Ryuji on, like she's going to be taken off her swimsuit, and oh, look at this, but oh, well. Um, and then, of course, Taiga is all angry about it. Well, let's face it, it's Taiga. She's pissed about it, and she goes and stomps upstairs, and well, let's just say hilarity ensues. Don't want to spoil it. And then later, they're off in this cave, and the one's trying to scare the other, but as it turns out, the others are trying to scare the ones, and ha ha ha. But uh, I didn't really feel that these episodes were really necessary. They did provide a good opportunity for character growth and explanation of their dreams and what they're, you know, going for, and a chance for Ryuji and Minori to get a little closer. And, you know, it, it, you know like I said, I didn't think that the middle episodes were the strongest, but they served a good purpose and kind of a break. And and it's just the sort of show that snowballs, right? It starts off really good, and then it just keeps getting greater and greater, and it goes faster and faster, and you just can't wait to get through those episodes because it's so good, and you just find yourself marathoning through it. It's that delicious. Which is why I have to go and give Toradora a top... That's right, not a recommended, not a highly recommended, a top recommendation. And now for the video game review. Imagine a world. A world in which sequels don't have to necessarily take place once every one or two years. A world where a game can be released in, let's say, 1985, and then not see a sequel until 1992, and then the game not have a third entry until, oh, let's say, into the 21st century. 
Such a world, could it possibly exist? Well, in a little corner of our own world, it does. In the form of Kid Icarus Uprising. Yes, that's right. 25 years after the original game was released, um, in 2012, Nintendo released Kid Icarus Uprising III in the series, and dramatically different from the earlier ones. For one thing, it was a full-color game, unlike the NES and Game Boy entries, which, for technical reasons, could not be. Um, and, for those interested, the Japanese title of the game, Shin Hikari Shinwa Parutena no Kagami, means New Myth of Light, the Mirror of Palatina. Um, or, if you wanted to be more literal about it, New Light Mythology, Palutena's Mirror. But... Who is Palutena? Who is Kid Icarus? Well, first of all, Kid Icarus doesn't appear in the game, and in the game's 12 different introductory videos, don't worry, you don't have to watch them all, as a matter of fact, many are optional, um, actually makes a joke about how there is no Kid Icarus, don't worry about the Kid Icarus part, it's just a name. Because our main antagonist is actually named Pit, a flightless little angel. Some people have described him as cute, some have described him as cool, but I describe him as a worthy protagonist. Uh, basically, using the power of flight lent to him by a goddess, or, you know, friendly, powerful ally, um, Pitt is able to fly, but only for about five minutes, after which he loses the power of flight and must take to the ground, thus presenting the game's two different gameplay modes. First, where you're on rails, automatically flying forward, but you can control the character's orientation by moving him up and down or left and right across the screen in a um, 2D plane, but with 3D enemies and bullets heading at you, you must both navigate around the approaching shots and also fire back at the enemies. This is accomplished by using a twin-stick approach without being a literal twin-stick approach. Yes, there's the Circle Pad Pro for the Nintendo 3DS, which gives you a second analog stick, but because the game's producer decided that this was not... Um, Sakurai is his name, by the way. Uh, Masahiro Sakurai decided that no, 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 because so many other consoles have dual analog sticks that we needed to make this game original. And unfortunately for many people, this hurt the game because they had difficulty controlling it using a combination of the circle pad and the touch screen as the second analog stick. That's right, by... Uh, Default, it uses the touchscreen and the analog stick as your dual analogs. Well, not everyone enjoyed that, but thankfully the game is very customizable, where you can actually customize what each button and uh, interface on there does. Now, no, it doesn't use the gyroscope or the accelerometer or the microphone, but you can go and choose instead to have the... Um, the shooting be controlled by the touchscreen, the analog pad, or the D-pad, and have the same three options available for the dodging. So what I like to do is use the analog pad to go and move Pit around, and the um, touchscreen to do the shooting on, because I found that I could 
usually on the lower difficulty settings, like park them over in a corner or whatever, then do some shooting on the touch screen, and then when I notice projectiles starting to go his way, I could move them to another corner across the screen, and then do some more shooting on the screen that way. But you can mix and match and go with whatever works better for you. And if it's too weighty trying to go and support the 3DS with one hand and using the stylus and using the analog and using the R-Trigger to shoot, personally I remap things over so that you actually use the opposite button for shooting uh, compared to the default and that I swapped around the analog stick and the touchscreen's functions. I found that to be much better for me as a somewhat ambidextrous right-handed person. But even if that's too much for you, there is a plastic stand included that you can set the game on and use that as support if you're at a desk or table. And while I didn't get the opportunity to test that out, I've heard it works very well. And I would also suggest using it on other games which make heavy use of the touchscreen or dual controls, such as Liberation Maiden or Theat Rhythm Final Fantasy, where you would really benefit from the diagonal slashing uh, in that game, because with the normal thing, if you're going against your uh, dominant hand towards, let's say, from your right to your left, it's just fine, but if those diagonals are asking you to go uh, with your dominant hand away from the supporting hand, it just really doesn't work well in the Rhythm Final Fantasy. So the Kid Icarus Uprising stand would be great for that. But moving on, the game goes and has a wide variety of weapons you can use. Uh, I believe that there's eight different types, and you can actually um, use hearts, which are the game's currency, to go and buy new types, or the cheaper option is to go and fuse existing ones to get more powerful ones, although I suppose they're not always more powerful, as they are a combination of the two that you throw in. So you might have one that's orbitars and one that's fists, and combining them gets you like a bow, for example. Um, and it'll have some of the features of the one and some features of the other. So uh, some of the basic stats plus other things like it might temporarily stun the enemies or poison them or it really does a lot of damage in combos or, but it's not so good at long range or uh, the initial melee or whatever. Um, so it, it's a huge number of weapons that you can actually get in this game. And if that wasn't enough options for getting weapons, as well as finding them in the stages themselves, you can also go and use uh, Street Pass gems that you get, obviously, by Street Passing other people with Kid Icarus Uprising that have activated the Street Pass feature of the game, but I believe that automatically sets it up, so there you go. Um, you can take their gems, and as long as you've gotten far enough in the game to get that particular gem set, as it appears there's four different ones, and so you can't just jump right to the most powerful ones, you can then take those gems and either... Um, use hearts to outright buy them, or once again, fuse the gems to go and create new weapons, which is the cheaper option. And so I found this really great way to customize the game, because if you're more melee orientated, then go for the weapons better for that. Or if you're more long range orientated, go for that. And if you like to mix it up, go for something that's average on both, but good with either option. Um, also, the graphics are absolutely stunning. Kid Icarus Uprising has graphics that are so 
good. At many times, I thought I was playing a high-end Nintendo Wii game. And while they might not sound like high praise to some people, it truly is stunning and gorgeous, and hands down the best-looking game on the 3DS that I have played. And I have played at least mm, a dozen or more games on the system that are retail releases and you know i have i've just not seen anything uh that has looked better in this game and it's not simply a matter of you know textures and polygons but it's artistic direction you know you've got pit flying through these like great morning skies where it's dark and purplish up above but it's light blue and gorgeous and covered with clouds below and the sun is peeking up and as you play through the level it rises higher up in the stage and it's all these you know sweeping motions that like goes from high up in the clouds and then it plunges down and you go alongside cliffs and then in through caverns and chasms it's just beautiful looking but it's not done with with pre-rendered video it's all real-time graphics and it works really really well speaking of really well the dialogue in this is great i mentioned before how the writing in this can be hilarious and trust me kid icarus uprising's writing is its highlight characters have all sorts of dialogues and then you start getting additional characters in there so it goes from a dialogue to a trialogue to a quadrilogue to a quatrilogue and it, it it can have quite a lot of characters talking but instead of sitting you down and making you sit through cut scenes instead all of the talkity talk between the characters happens during the stages so if you're going and having a high action thing thankfully uh, you can just ignore the stuff that they're saying during these times because while it's funny might have a little relevance and add a bit to the game um for the most part, unless the game is actually in a non-gameplay segment, it isn't really critical to figuring out the story for that particular stage or section. Um, but if you do have the attention span for it, like those of us who are great multitaskers, you can pay attention to the dialogue and to what's going on in the game, and you will have some really generally hilarious moments. You have Pitt, of course, the Eponius character, well, not the Eponius character, but the starring character of the game. Um, you also have the uh, one whom he works for. He is a follower of Lady Palutena, uh, the uh, goddess of light or heaven or sky world, as it's called in the game. Um, but there's a number of other gods and deities and special, you know, monsters and things too, like Medusa and Thanatos and Poseidon and Pandora and, well, not to spoil too much, but let's just say that there's so many stages and so many characters in this game, it really felt like a three-part act. And I think Nintendo would have been better served to go and divide the game into three parts. Imagine this. Part one first act of the game and it's got a really good natural ending to act one so that works out really great part two or released a year or two later both of these on the wii part three you release it on the nintendo 3ds that way everyone that bought it for the wii they need the conclusion they buy the 3ds plus the numbers match up three 3ds it would have been perfect but as it is they cram all those characters all that story all those levels into one single game and it makes for a most excellent time um, I mean you really get your money's worth out of this game and if you go and buy it used you're getting even more 
value for your dollar. Uh, I mean, even at full price, I felt that I was getting more than I paid for. Um, and speaking of great things, I really, really like the goddess Viridi. She shows up, uh, oh, let's say about a third of the way into the game, and she was hands down my favorite. Um, after she's been in the story for a bit, they actually re-theme the um, main hub that you navigate around with, selecting your weapons, going to the training range, going into the story, uh, various this and that. And uh, they re-theme it after Viridi because she is the goddess of nature. You know, it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. Um, and, and, and it is just gorgeous and, and just awesome. Um, plus, there's other things in it, too. For example, um, you're awarded these little things that look like Fabergé eggs, and you launch them. The more eggs you put in and the different types, the higher the odds that you'll get a new figurine or, well, I forget what they call them, but they're basically like 3D figurines. And so at first, you're just, you know, popping one egg at a time off of this launcher, and you're getting figures like all the time, but you start to get duped. you got to toss on, you know, two or three eggs to start getting additional new ones. And uh, so, you know, that provides additional entertainment and value right there. Plus, um, you can choose how difficult your stage is from 0, 0.0, which is literally like you cannot lose, and the game is like a total cakewalk, to 9.9, .9, where crap is going on everywhere, and you better have some of the best equipment in the game equipped, and full attention on this game, using the stand, and just being at your utmost to make it through. So, why would you want to change it? Well... Each stage, you can change the difficulty. You can dial it up, you can dial it down, um, and it pays to dial it up, because if you turn it to its default difficulty of 2.0, you don't get any hearts, but you don't lose any hearts either. If you turn it below 2.0, it would make it even easier. You're losing out on the various hearts that you could be earning, which, once again, hearts are used as currency in this game, so you want lots of them, especially if you're going to outright buy a weapon, as those are very expensive. And if you tune it past 2.0, you actually get this multiplier effect going on where you are getting tons and tons of hearts. And not only are you getting tons and tons of hearts and tons and tons of enemies in the stage, but you are also getting lots and lots of treasure making it even more worth your while because those treasures can contain awesome, awesome weapons. Not just healing items in the form of food, which is, by the way, another hilarious point, is the characters make fun of Pit going around and eating all this food off the ground and being such a glutton. And his health is also restored by using hot springs. And so they're making fun of that and saying, what are you, some sort of hot springs freak? You're like a maniac for going and sucking in hot springs? And later on, he's in some alien base or whatever. And they're like, oh my god, don't go in that water. Oh, oh my god, Pitt, I don't believe it. You went into that glowing yellow water. You don't know if that's safe or not. And he's like, hey, what can I say? A hot spring's a hot spring's, and I know one when I smell one. Uh... The game is very funny, trust me. I found myself laughing quite voraciously at times. Just big, hearty chuckles at how hilarious the uh, writing can be. High-quality writing, too. You know, it's not just simply bringing the jokes over from Japanese. It's like putting this through the editorial process a few times to 
smooth it over and hone it to a perfect tone, a, a perfect pitch. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. Also, you can, um, uh, if you have a bunch of extra hearts, because, I don't know, you're crazy and you want to get 9.9 .9 on all the stages, you can go and throw some out towards the goddess, which will bring her closer to you, and, well, I never had enough hearts, and so I just tried that a little bit once, and it's like, well, that's nice that she's closer, but even the game itself says there's not really a point to this, so I wonder if there's a secret something special if you get the goddess close enough or not. Um, final feature, though, that I'll mention before getting into the multiplayer, um, you can have augmented reality cards, Kid Icarus Uprising cards. Uh, you get a pack with the game, you could get packs through Nintendo Power, although sadly that magazine is now defunct. Thanks for nothing, Nintendo. Although, to be fair, thanks for Kid Icarus Uprising, Nintendo. Lots of good games over the years. But man, why didn't you go and renew Nintendo Power? Anyways, you could get cards through the game, cards through Nintendo Power, cards at special events. They even had a promotional event for Kid Icarus Uprising where if you bought a copy and registered it before January 5th of 2013, you could enter for a chance to win the complete set of cards. And all they would say is it's over 200 because they didn't want to give away exactly how many. And the idea was to kind of play off an angle of it and try and get it where people would buy and trade and collect these cards but, of course, it just sadly never took off. Maybe in Japan. Um, but if you have any of these cards, you can set them up, and you can see the characters um, or places that they represent and rotate them around in 3D and see them that way, and that's pretty cool. But you can also face them towards each other, and they will fight each other. And you can... Um, uh, I think you can have up to three characters facing off with each other, but maybe it's only two. Um, and uh, while there are no strict rules for this, although one character can be defeated by another character based upon their stats, uh, and I've heard there's some randomness to it too, so it's not always the same, but of course if it's one-sided, then the character is still going to always lose. Um, but I heard that you can also use it, or their intention was, um, that you could use it as the basis for creating your own, like, tabletop augmented reality games using these cards as the feature and the deciding factor. I can totally see that as a possibility, but I also don't think it's too likely that anybody did that. Um, but I didn't really cover the story that much because, let me put it this way, there is a ton of story with a ton of characters. But ultimately, the story doesn't really matter so much. Yes, each stage it gives you motivation. Sometimes it mixes it up. So instead of the flight stage followed by the ground stage, sometimes ground followed by the flight. And then there's this one really esoteric stage, which I won't spoil, but is in the third act. And that was really kind of wild. And there's also a dark version of Pit called Dark Pit, like many of the other previous dark characters on the uh, Nintendo uh, Nintendo's various series. But unlike the other ones like Dark Link and um, Dark Samus and other things like that, Dark Pit has a real personality of its own. You know, he's not just the anti-Pit or evil Pit. He's got his own personality and his own vendetta. Uh, well, maybe vendetta is too strong of a word, but he's basically a wild card who goes and lives things by his own way. So he's a little bit of the chaos of um, uh, Pandora, let's say, and a bit of Pit and a bit of his own guy all rolled up in one and creates a very memorable, likable character who's only slightly angsty. Not too much, 
and uh, I actually thought he was a really good addition to the game. So the multiplayer, basically two different ones. You got a free-for-all, which simple enough to explain everyone is attacking everyone and trying to get the most points, and then you have uh, team battles, where first it's three humans versus three humans, and then as they're eliminated, it goes down further and further until all the humans are defeated on one team, and then the angel representing their team goes to battle, either pit or dark pit. And if you um, manage to win, then it's like, hey, buddy, it's all good, and the one helps up the other, and the team get points, and there are... <laughs> well, let me put it this way. Have you ever played a Masahiro Sakurai game before, you know, things like Kirby's Air Ride or any of the uh, Smash Brothers games? Because if so, you will know the man loves achievements. Call them accomplishments, call them trophies, call them whatever, but he loves them. And his whole grid approach that he took in Kirby's Air Ride and the Smash Brothers game returns here because it is huge. How huge is it? I think there's 120 different accomplishments that you can get in this game. And much like in these previous titles, when you get an accomplishment, it will go and give hints to the adjacent accomplishments in how to go and achieve them. And as you do achieve them, you unlock more and more of a background picture. But there's so many of them, there's three different background pictures you can eventually unlock. But also, occasionally getting an accomplishment will go and give you hearts, or it'll give you weapons, or it'll give you unlocks of various kinds. And so it's totally worth playing the multiplayer just to go and get some of those. But by itself, the multiplayer is great fun, too. I tried both modes, and while I really didn't care for the free-for-all, I really liked the team battles and thought that that was really well executed. And part of the reason why is that you can go with, with a really strong weapon, or you can go in with a really weak weapon, but you have to balance things out. I mean, you can go anywhere in between weak to strong too, and you'll want to experiment around to find out what works for you. Because the stronger your weapon is, the more health that you lose when you are attacked. And so if you're really good, you can go around with a strong weapon, shoot people up, dodge to the left, dodge to the right. And in this game, it actually rewards near dodges because I guess it looks cool. And so you get, like, um, bonus multipliers and stuff like that. Uh, or temporary invincibility. It's hard to remember. Um... But if you're hit while using these powerful weapons, you'll lose big chunks of energy. And this will obviously put your team at a disadvantage if you go in with something really powerful, but you keep getting hit, you lose all your health, and boom, you're out of the game, right? And your team has to switch to their angel character, or if it's free-for-all, you're just losing health, losing health, and boom, you're out, and you just got to wait till the end of the round. Whereas if you pick a weaker weapon, you're doing less damage, but you can just take a ton of damage. It's like you've been outfitted with countless hit points. And so it's really like, choose what's good for you. If you find yourself getting tagged out too much, you're probably using too strong of a weapon for your skill level. Might want to scale that down, and then you'll have enough to actually be the last one standing. So it's a real balancing act, because if you get too weak of a weapon, yeah, you got a lot of HP, but you're not going to be able to knock down the other guys and get the points you need in order to win. So, I mean, like I said, the game is the full package, right? Speaking of which, um, as it's a 3DS game, I should mention the stereoscopic uh, visual effect, and yeah, the 3D effect looks really nice in this game. Um, you can 
uh, dial it up and dial it down, and it, it actually looks good at no matter what you set it at. I tend to set my slider in the middle, um, and and it just you know a lot of times if a game is like too hectic with the action and the uh, 3DS would be shaking too much, like with Street Fighter when you're inputting all those moves with the button combos and the quarter circles and you know uh, back and forward rapidly with some of the characters. It's just flipping around that uh, uh, screen too much, and the visuals are going out, and it's just no good. And so for Street Fighter, I find want to turn off the 3D. But Kid Icarus Uprising, I found that the 3D actually enhanced the visuals, and I played most of the game with that on. I might have even played the whole game with that on. That's how good it looked. But it works perfectly well, of course, in 2D only mode, so don't be concerned about that. So, I've gone on and on about this game, and it's hilarious, well, hilariously good, and good hilarious writing. Um, believe it or not, it was actually in development for 10 years. Yeah, that's right, it started out on the PC, because it was originally intended to be a Nintendo Wii game, but they didn't even have development kits that soon, so they started out developing it on uh, Windows. Then they ended up finally porting it to the Wii and trying to work it for that. But then Nintendo introduced the 3DS, needed to bolster its library, and so it sent people out to go and work on that. And so the game eventually found its way on the 3DS. And uh, it, it's it's a really great game for it, you know. I think that uh, the Wii U would probably have uh, sold quite a few more units if there was another Kid Icarus game available on that. And I don't mean re-releases of the original, too. Um, another interesting thing is that this game had not one, not two, six different composers, with the main one being Matoi Sakuraba. And that man is a freaking genius at uh, at his craft. I mean, you got everything from like Mexican flamingo music to really sweeping epic stuff to even like sci-fi space action shooter kind of things. If Nintendo had gone and given this game an official uh, soundtrack release in North America, I would buy it up. That's how good it is. But unfortunately, our options are only buying a 25 best of soundtrack or the full 71 soundtrack by importing them from Japan. But if you're a big fan of um, high-quality music from the land of the rising sun, man, I definitely recommend you pick up either the Kid Icarus Uprising music selection or the full Kid Icarus Uprising OST. As um, Though pricey to import soundtracks, beautiful, memorable music, and I found myself actually replaying stages sometimes to go and just be able to re-listen to that music. Now, before I go and give you my final score, let me just say that the widely respected and well-known Famitsu magazine out of Japan gave Kid Icarus Uprising a perfect 40 out of 40 score. The 40 out of 40, of course, means that there are four different reviewers on this title each gave it a perfect 10. Well, I don't know if the game is perfect, but I certainly know it's good enough to get my top recommendation. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my fellow otaku, it's been a great time all these years of you joining me 
I welcome back both our old hands and our new faces, old friends and new acquaintances. And I hope for you just joining us that you'll be able to tune in for many more episodes of ASO Radio. Though with our uh, difficult-to-predict periodic releases, uh, I can't guarantee when the next will be. However, it's been one heck of a ride, ladies and gentlemen. If you can believe it, 14 years since 1999 when I first began this epic journey. Ah, so many memories, so many good times, so many occasional guest stars. Ah, yes. You know, oftentimes in life we take for granted the good things we have just because we're so used to them, having been exposed to them all the time. You know, you don't appreciate friends or family that are really good and loyal and kind, you know, people you can depend on. And and the, other, the little things, you know, having enough food to eat, a comfortable place to, to rest your head where it's not too hot or too cold, and you don't have to worry about disease and, and pests and other problems of that nature. And, well, ASO Radio is kind of like that for me. Sometimes I go and don't really appreciate all the good things that it's brought me over the years. You know, the party-like atmosphere when T-Man, Z-Guy, and DB3 would meet up with me for our Friday afternoons where we would go and record the show together. And, and just the excellent times, you know, it seemed like they would never end. And so only now do I truly appreciate them for as good as they were. Because while I had a great time then, and uh, I was so happy to have the guys over, you know, now that they've gone off on their own, you know. First DB, I mean, first Z guy got married, and then DB3, and for a short time DB3 rejoined us on the show, but, you know, they all went their separate ways, and not too many years ago T-Man got married, and DB3 recently brought in his daughter into the world, let's call her DB3 Jr., and, well, they're just scattered to the wind, some as far away as the East Coast, and me being located in our secret mountain headquarters in the mountain time zone. I just don't really get the chance to hang around him like I used to. And the other guys, well, they've got their own busy lives involved with their own interests. And so I guess I am the one that continues to light the candle every now and again and bring out a new episode. But they're not the only people. And yes, yes, I've had occasional guests on the show like uh, Chris and uh, Tetsuya and, uh, of course, the audience. Um, but there's the biggest member of all, the silent majority. And that's you, the home listening audience. The people that go out of their way whenever there's a new episode or just checking it out for the first time and they download it. MP3 sometimes, Og Vorbis for the OSS guys. You guys are what really makes it worthwhile. Because yes, the party days were great, and bringing out new episodes is easier than ever now with advances in technology. I remember back when we first got started, I only had something like a 200 megabyte hard drive, so I would often have to delete old files or uh, programs or Sadly, even episodes of the show just to make room. What can I say? Storage was expensive back then, and I didn't have a CD writer to back everything up. Really wish I did, though. So many episodes lost. Though, 
we got at least a few archived from most seasons, so it's not a total loss. Well, I guess what I'm saying is is that I deeply and truly appreciate all of you listeners. The new guys, thank you for joining us. And the old guys, you really mean a lot to me. Tuning in episode after episode and downloading, listening on your computers, your iPods, your portable audio players, your cars... And, of course, knowing that by you listening through the sound waves and downloading over your Wi-Fi and cellular signals, that I truly am on the air. Oh, sure, we never got a big broadcast tower and threw our signal across AM or FM to the farthest reaches that it could reach from high atop a mountain. Although, perhaps one day, if I am so rich that I can indulge in such extravagancies, I might one day look into that. Who knows? But the internet really opened things up. And while I never did get that vernal anime club happening, or of course as we called it back then in those high school days, the Anime Society, thus Anime Society Otaku ASO Radio, I did, however, eventually get an anime club. And while it had its good points, it was never nearly as good as the days I have spent with ASO Radio and NZ17 Productions. And even later on, when I moved to a bigger town and had access to go to a real city's, real university's anime club, well, those guys really didn't know what they were doing. It was a shame. So horribly mismanaged. And yes, not nearly as good as hanging out with you guys who enjoy listening to me DB3, T-Man, Z-Guy, and our various guest hosts over the years, Amble On and Ramble On, with our various opinions and trying to save you time and money by telling you what you definitely should watch and what you should definitely avoid. And, of course, in the old days, we'd do some musical interludes before we found out that could get you in some legal trouble depending on who's listening and putting up an order for the episodes to be taken down. But, hey, I think our little musical interludes are pretty good anyway. You know the uh, royalty-free kind. Well, ladies and gents, it's been a most excellent time. A fine, full ten seasons. Thirteen episodes each, occasionally with fractional episodes, because we were just so excited we couldn't wait till the next week to bring you more. And yeah, fourteen years completed. Yeah, wish we had a birthday cake. You know, maybe, maybe one of you listeners can not only send in some fan mail congratulating us on ten complete seasons, on... Con- Completing 14 years of anime podcasting, going so far back it was before the term podcasting existed. Maybe you can send in the fan mail. Maybe you can send in some fan art of Bandy, of course, or any anime that you might think good enough to grace our artist artist alley gallery of pictures. But maybe the best thing you could send in is a digital drawing of a delicious cake decked out with 14 candles. After all, everyone talks about their sweet 16, but I think our 14th is pretty dang sweet. So, once again, for an episode of ASO Radio, and in particular for episode 130 of ASO Radio, this is NZ17, signing out.